The reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning at the 24th verse. That's page 1010 of the Church Bibles, 1010. Mark 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Thank you, Brendan and Laura, for praying and Laura for reading uh, for us. I keep, I keep a Bible open if, we, uh, if you're, as we come to look at this. Those of you in Grafted and Pathfinder, it's great for you to, to have it open and, and for the rest of us as we look at what is a strange story in lots of ways, strange little incident, and yet I think in it, Jesus will begin to push us towards an attitude that is at the heart of the response he's, he's looking uh, from all of us. Uh, let me just lead us in another short prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, please help us by your Spirit as we listen to your words in the Scriptures. We ask it in your name. Amen. Now, you sometimes despair, don't you, uh, watching a young man trying to impress a young woman and getting it all wrong. Have you ever been around that kind of thing? Tim was a, a friend. He started dating Jane. She worked in London for a recruitment uh, agency, recruiting people for high-profile jobs. I think her work was quite pressured at times. Tim came up with an idea to further endear himself to her by playing a trick on her. I mean, what could go wrong? Um, what he did, what he did was set up a fake meeting with a high-profile candidate, a meeting for which she'd need to leave her real work, get on a train, and then be driven to the meeting to then be told by Tim, it wasn't real, <laughs> it was a joke, uh, after which she could then return to her real work. I mean, if you were talking to Tim as he laid out his plan before you, you might want to ask, are you trying to push her away? <laughs> I mean, are you, are you trying to get rid of her? Are you trying to push her away? Uh, look, if you've been around the, the relationally clueless uh, at times and, and heard their ideas or the things they've done or said, this part of the Bible is interesting because it's an awkward one, isn't it? I don't know how you felt as you, you read it. Uh, come look at it with me. Jesus has left uh, Galilee in verse 24. That's what we're told. And he's, he's gone into Tyre. That's Gentile territory. He's been trying to keep a low profile, but it doesn't work. And a, a woman bursts into the house begging him to help her daughter who's possessed by an evil spirit. We'll come to that in a bit. 
Now, of all the things you'd expect Jesus to say, this wasn't it, was it? You've been following Jesus through Mark's gospel. You weren't expecting him to say this uh, to this woman. Verse 27, just look at it again. First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He said that in response to her request for help. I mean, you heard it, I heard it, everyone heard it, but you still want to ask, did he just say that? Did he just refer to her as a dog? This woman who's come asking for help. And look, understand, just be clear on this, this isn't what he's saying here, isn't a specifically female slur. But it is pretty negative. In Jewish thinking, dogs were not like your cockapoo uh, that you think is really delightful and you have it sleeping on your bed with you at times, that kind of friendly thing. Dogs were associated with being unclean. Some of you still think that way about dogs. Unclean, kind of wretched things. And the rabbis of the day, they used it as a metaphor for talking about all Gentiles, men and women, those on the outside, outside of God's covenant community. Uh, living in a way opposed to God. You hear that, and you, you might want to still ask Jesus, are you trying to push her away? Is that what you're really trying to do? Now, there, I guess there's two things that might stop you thinking that. The, the first one is, it just doesn't really sound like Jesus, does it? It's not what you expect, not without some further explanation. And the second reason might be, if you've been with us over the past few weeks and months as we've been going through Mark's gospel, the second reason will be how this story connects with the previous one. Do you remember if you were here a few weeks back, we heard some religious men, uh, Pharisees, beginning of chapter 7. You can, you can look back to that if you want, verse 1. They were pushing Jesus about having clean hands at the dinner table. And they were saying, in effect, as we went through that, the rules, the rules about the cleanliness of their hands that they were keeping reflected their general cleanliness with God. Our hard work with these rules shows we're doing well with God. That's, in a sense, that's part of what they were saying. And Jesus pushed back hard on them. He said in chapter 7, verse 6, you're hypocrites. Washing can't change you. And he says, in effect, as you go on in the, that little section of the chapter, your hearts... Your hearts are captured by evil. You've got stuff, and you can see it there in verse 21, actually, if you just look at it in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 21, he says to them, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. He, he's saying, look, you've, you've got stuff to make you look good on the outside. And you're acting as if you're just as good on the inside, but you are captured by evil. And you cannot wash it off. Jesus would say the same to us. I don't know how you think about that. Somebody comes and says to you, you your hearts are captured by evil. But you, you think about it. Nobody had to teach us to think wrong things, do wrong things. Nobody particularly taught you that. When you were younger, growing up, your parents didn't sit you down and say, I'm going to teach you how to be naughty. No, I'm going to teach you how to think wrong things and do wrong things. That's, we've not done this yet. You don't know how to do it. I will teach you. Parents are not doing that. Those of you who are parents, you're never doing that, are you? Nobody has to teach us to do that. 
And this is what Jesus is saying to us. Our hearts are captured by evil. And you think, well, if, if it's true, that's really what we're like. What do we do about it? In this story, we have a woman with a daughter. Remember, we, we said, who's possessed by an evil spirit. Now, I don't know what you make of that. Some, some want to dismiss talk of evil spirits. We live in a scientific age. Don't do that. Jesus and the Bible will say, you, we don't need to obsess over them. But they are real. A spiritual world is real. The material world is not everything. There is a spiritual world and there's spiritual agents that act. It is real. And you should pray knowing there's a spiritual battle. But I think here in this story, there's even more. Do you you see what this is illustrating for us? Here's someone you can look at and see they are captured by evil. This daughter, this mum in this situation, she's totally stuck. They can't wash this off. And it's to show us what to do. Look, come and meet this mum. You kind of get her CV in verse 26. Did you notice it? We're, we're told these things about her. Uh, she's a woman. She's a Greek. That's a Gentile. She's from Syrian Phoenicia. That's a, a pagan region. She would have been a, a pagan lady probably. Uh, and understand the reason we're being told this. This isn't just general information. It's not just, oh, like, by the way, you might be interested to know where she's from and kind of some of her background. It's not that. How, how do you get a feel for this? Uh, I was trying to think of it during the week, and this is what I came up with. Look, the, Cambridge is a particular kind of city. You know that if you've lived here for any length of time. It's, it's progressive, it's liberal, it's international, it's highly educated. As a city, I kind of think generally we feel globally connected. We enjoy that, lots of us. At Brexit, do you remember that? Don't know if it's too soon to mention it. At Brexit, 74% of us voted Remain. So imagine you go to a party... Uh, and imagine an introduction where somebody says, this is David, he voted leave. And he's a bit skeptical about climate change. And he allows his children lots of screen time. And he has three sugars in his tea. <laughs> and you hear all of that and you think, oh my goodness, three sugar, sugars in his tea. That's awful. That's really awful, isn't it? And you know, don't you? You know instinctively because you do those kind of things, and I do them. You, you know instinctively that is not general information. It's marking David out for you. He's one of those. He's one of those people. He's awful. This woman, that's what that's doing. She's one of those. In terms of her, her gender, her ethnicity, or her religion, her life situation, she's on the outside. That's what you're being told there. But at the end of these two stories, the one with her and the one with the Pharisees, it's her and not the Pharisees who goes home free and clean. What's going on? Look, before I show you, let me tell you a bit more about Tim again. That prank he played on Jane, the driver he arranged, I mean, it was an elaborate kind of trick, the the driver he arranged handed her a letter from Tim which said, just to let you know, the driver's my friend and you're not going to a meeting. He's bringing you to meet me and I've arranged all of this with your boss. And when she got there, it was at the grounds of Blenheim Palace, Tim was waiting with a picnic and a proposal. 
changes how you feel about that story a little bit, doesn't it? At least a little bit changes it, I hope. Had he pushed her around that day? Had he pushed her around that day? Well, yes, he really had. I mean, she ended up having to leave her work. I imagine along the way she was frustrated. Was his intention to push her away? Absolutely not. He was only pushing her, if I can put it this way, he was only pushing her in the hope she'd come in the right way. Now, if you can get your head around that, if you can grasp that, come back to Jesus and this woman. Verses 27 and 28, it's not a picnic, but we're told about a family mealtime, and the dogs are looking hopeful. The little story that Jesus tells, you hear it, first let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And the woman replies, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It's a funny little interaction, isn't it? But at one level, you get it. Jesus says, look, at dinner time, it's kids before dogs. You know that. If you've got a dog, and I hope you do this, you don't feed the dog before your children. It's, it's kids before dogs. And the woman's reply, I think at one level, it's cheeky and it's smart. She said, she's saying in effect, yeah, kids are messy though, aren't they? Are your kids messy? Because mine always was. Kids are messy and they drop crumbs. See, what's going on? Uh, this little story is a parable. You might not have thought about it that way. This is one of Jesus' little parables. There's a spiritual meaning. What does it mean? In the big story of the Bible, from the beginning onwards, because of sin, after people pushed God away, God announced a rescue plan, and he made a promise in Genesis 12, back at the beginning of the Bible, to a particular man, Abraham, and to his family, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And as the story goes on, these people get called God's children. And he says, one day through you, I will bless and rescue others from the whole world. The promise is one where God will graciously do what people can't do for themselves. They're guilty before God. He'll provide forgiveness. They are captured by sin. He'll come and set them free. They're heading for the grave. He'll do something so that he can give new life, new and eternal life. The Jewish people, that's who this family were. They, they were the family. And at this point in his ministry, understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying his priority is for the people of Israel. They are the children at the table. Do you get that? That's what he's saying here. They're the children at the table. But notice how he starts, verse 27. Do you see that? Just have a little look. The, the word he uses right at the beginning, he says, first let the children eat. He's saying the rescue mission, everyone needs it. Nobody can fix themselves. Everyone is captured by sin. But it's being offered first to those who are outwardly in the covenant community. But after that, after that, I'm going to the whole world, but not quite yet. That's the point we're at. And you get this and you understand kind of what he's saying to this woman, why he interacts with her in this way. As this woman comes, he's pushing her a little bit. He is deliberately prodding her. And he's saying in effect to her, do you really know who I am that you've come for help? 
Do you really know who you are? And do you really know your needs? And in contrast with the Pharisees, her response is staggering. Just look at it again. Do you know who I am? Do you see what she says? Lord, she replied. She calls him Lord. He's just called her a pooch. <laughs> and she says to him straight away, Lord, you're the boss. You're the one in charge. You're the Lord. You're in charge of everything. Do you know who you are? Oh, she doesn't avoid the term dog. She's straight up. She uses it herself. And I think, in effect, she's saying, look, I get it. Lord, if you're meaning by dog, someone who hasn't lived God's way, someone who's done wrong things, someone who's outside of God's people, you can describe me like that. I describe myself like that. She's very different to the Pharisees, isn't she? There is a, there's a quite disarming honest humility about her. You like that? And do you have that kind of honest humility? What about this idea of do you know your needs? Now, get her response. And what she says to Jesus about um, the dogs getting the crumbs under the table, she is saying in effect to him, She's saying to Jesus, look, oh, I wouldn't want to take anything away from your own children. I wouldn't want to do that. I'm not asking for that. But do they ever drop crumbs, Jesus? Do your children ever drop crumbs that they're not going to eat afterwards? And I know the crumbs are not mine to take, but my need is so great. We are completely captured and only you can help. If you were to give me some crumbs of help, I suspect that would be enough for me. Do you hear what this woman is saying? Do you see how she's come to him? I'm totally captured by evil, but you're the Lord, and all I can do is humbly ask for your mercy. Did Jesus push her? Yes but it wasn't to push her away. He pushed her in the hope she'd come in the right way. Do you ever feel pushed by Jesus? Uh, those of you who've been Christians for a while, do you ever feel a little bit pushed by the things he says? Maybe you're just finding out about this Christian message. Do you ever feel it kind of pushes you away? Uh, some of the things he says, you're not sure you like it. Jesus, you seem to be saying about me and my friends, we're all captured by sin. You're trying to push us away? Because me and a lot of my friends, we're, we're pretty nice people. We work hard. I've, I've done things that suggest I'm pretty good. And, and Jesus kind of says, in effect, as he, he pushes you, all these little rules of achievement that, make, that you use to make yourself feel good on the outside, they, they can't change you on the inside. You're still captured by sin. They're just like, you could put it this way, one of the other images that the Bible uses of idolatry. They're, they're just like little idols you rely on. That's the thing you look to in worship. Now, we don't use religious washing. I don't imagine anyone is in this room is saying, I know I'm all right with God because, or I know I'm all right in life generally because I've washed my hands enough. But we've got other things. For some, it's, it's education, isn't it? That would be the thing you lead on. Education's the idol. And you say, no, it's not. 
education stresses me out. I hate exams. I, I hate exams. I'm always stressed out by exams, but that, that's the point. If you're someone who flies through exams, you'll get stressed. Uh, if you fly through exams, the temptation will be to think, life is okay now because I've done all right with my exams. I, I, can, I can sit back and be at ease. I'm all right. I look okay to those outside of me. I've got the grades. I'm all right. I can fit in well here. And if you're terrible at exams, you can, the temptation will be to get stressed and think, if only I was better at exams, then life would be better. Either way... Exams in education is the thing you're looking to, and it's not true. They won't make life right. Only Jesus can do that, and he will push you on it. Or it can be relationships, can't it? You can make that the, the rule for the good life, the, the idol that you're serving. Now, if you're married, you know that. Marriage is a good thing. It is a really great thing, marriage. But get married, and you pretty quickly want your spouse and your family to kind of fulfill life for you. I want it to be in such a way, the temptation to feel like I get all my things, my security from, from family. If you've got a great marriage, you, you can think, this is all I need. If you've got a tough marriage, you can think, if only I had a better marriage. Family, life would be okay. Or if you're single, you can think, if only I was married, then finally I would be okay. But it won't do it. Those things can't sort you out. You're captured by something else. Only Jesus can do that. Beginning of the last half-term break at breakfast, I, I had some days off, and at breakfast, I was at my grumpy, fault-finding worst. Just miserable. Nothing was right with my family. My day would be better if everyone here would just be different. Jesus took... Uh, Jesus, not Jesus. Julia took me aside. Both begin with J's. Maybe he was working through her. He, he took me aside. I, I checked with her that I, I can say this, because Julia is really gentle and quiet. She took me aside and she said, what is wrong with you? I mean, it was sharp like that. What is wrong with you? Well, this is what's wrong with me, isn't it? This is what's wrong with me. I think if I can sort out some externals, my life will be okay, but that's not my problem. My problem is my heart is captured by sin, and only Jesus can fix that. You followed the terrible news about the submarine this past week or so, stuck underwater, time running out, eventually crushed. It's just awful, isn't it? And I thought, in a way, it's a picture that's true for all of us. We're, we're all stuck with time running out. And one day we will be crushed, not by water, but by the weight of our sin. Is there anyone who can help us? And Mark in his gospel, this good news message has been showing us, here's the one who can set the captured free at the cross. If you've been a Christian any time, you know this, don't you? You know the message about Jesus. If you're just finding out about it, at the cross, look, Jesus was nailed up for us. He was captured so you could go free. He was crushed for sin, so you could be forgiven. How, if that's true, how can you get what he is offering? Did you notice? Jesus told this woman, you know, this, this first and later kind of idea, Jesus told this woman, there, there's an order, there was an order to his rescue plan. The Jewish people first, and later it will be for others. But after her response, it's almost like he adjusts the timings. 
you notice that? Because he, he brings her in. And I wondered this week if Jesus perhaps prayed something like this, Father, I, I know we had a plan. I know we had a plan with timing. But I can't step past this one. I can't step past her. I'm going to adjust the timings. I, I wondered about that. I think what's more likely is God always planned this incident to reassure you even sitting here today about the loving heart of the Savior, he does not want to step past you. How do you get what he's offering? Will you come to him and say, Jesus, I know my heart's captured by sin. I don't deserve anything, but you are a merciful Lord. Would you save me? And he will say, yes, I was pushing you but only so you would come in the right way. Christian, you're a Christian here this morning. You're remembering to keep coming to Jesus that way and to keep living that way humbly. That's the attitude of the heart here with humility. Or perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning and you've realized, do you know what? I felt like Jesus has been pushing me but you've realized this morning he's not pushing you away. And you feel today you want to come to him. In a moment, we're going to sing uh, our final hymn of praise. It's going to be on the organ. But before we do that, we don't often do it. We do it from time to time. I'm just going to give an opportunity, just in case you are here and you think, do you know what? I'm not sure I'm a Christian yet. But Jesus does sound good, and I know I'm captured, and I'd love him to save me set me free. So I'm just going to pray a very short prayer. I'll pray it slowly. And if you want to echo that prayer, just if it's words that are helpful for you to speak to Jesus, to ask him to save you, you can do that this morning. So a very short prayer. Let me ask you uh, to bow your head.